Honest 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brandon Mortensen here with you on an absolute scorcher of a weekend. Wow. Yeah. Was it hot this past weekend and it's hot today? I hate to start by talking about the weather, but this is the first real weekend of the summer. And boy, are we feeling it. Yeah. I, I made a, a terrible mistake by having my only clean polo be this black one. You didn't have to double down with the black pants, though. I didn't, but I did. Why did you? I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you, mm. but it's it's what's been done, and, and here we are. You're going to be burning up. I like the new sneaks. You do yeah. have some new uh, orange swooshes on that on that uh, white sneaker. Looks yep. good. Yeah. Design your own, right? It it was. Yeah. The uh, the old Nike ID thing. Also, yeah. I like the beginning of the podcast where we like frantically throw our laptops That's, uh, to the side, and then we just go. That's what it is. Like so, like we've been sitting here naturally the whole time. Brennan, you saw that movie Everywhere, Everything, All at Once? Yes. Is that what it was called? Fabulous movie. That's our job descriptions. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Is it a good That's film? about right. Yeah. A fantastic film. All right. Well, see uh, a lot of good movies out Not way. Not a sponsorship, but if they want to sponsor us, I don't think that's uh, that movie that is already out and has right. been out for several weeks has any interest in a Mass and All Access podcast sponsorship. Well, I'm sorry. You never know. I'm, I'm always trying to sell ourselves, but right. I, I just... I'm just trying to get any opportunity possible. I'm just not going to tell Ryan Haggerty, our, our sales guy, to, to go you know check out that opportunity. But if he wanted to... Also, like, I have any authority to give him an <laughs> idea of where to find sponsorships. No. Uh, all right. Well, we have a lot to talk about. Not only is the weather hot, but the birds are hot, too. The Orioles coming off a 500 road trip... In New York and Boston, 500 doesn't sound like a lot, but considering you're going up against maybe the best team in baseball in the New York Yankees and a one of the hottest teams in baseball in the Boston Red Sox, to come out of that road trip at an even 500 and with a win tonight, the Orioles will be 500 for the month of May. That would be the first time since July 2019 that the Orioles would finish a month at 500 or better. That's stat courtesy of Brett Hollander. That would be... An accomplishment. I know it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but that is an accomplishment. And look, regardless of how the other teams in the AL East are playing this season in particular, anytime you can have a good run against teams in the AL East, that's obviously a positive sign. We know that the AL East is always just kind of a gauntlet for the Baltimore, really for any team. The AL East is really a gauntlet, so anytime that you can have a quality stretch over a really long stretch here against the AL East opponents for the Orioles, it's a good sign. And not only are the Orioles winning more games than they have been in previous seasons, but the Orioles are fun right now. They're playing a lot more exciting baseball than they have been in recent seasons. They have the home run chain. They clearly have some clubhouse mojo. They I love the energy that you see from these guys that, frankly, we haven't seen a whole lot of energy like that in previous, in the last couple seasons, I would say. And, you know, part of it could be extenuating circumstances when you're losing more games. You don't want to be overly exuberant all the time, and the Orioles are winning more. But you're also seeing it from certain characters. You're seeing it from Austin Hayes, who is turning into an emotional, as well as productive-wise, leader of this team. 
Uh, you're seeing exuberance from Adley Rutschman, who comes right up and immediately acts as one of the team leaders in terms of the way that he carries himself on the field. You're seeing it from relievers like CNL Perez. You're seeing it from Rugnet Odor, frankly, who started out the season as about as poorly as anybody could, and he's turned it around. He's come up with some huge clutch hits, and he's turning <laughs> into one of the more favored players, I think, on this Orioles team. I, I, just in terms of the kind of energy that he brings, it's fun. He put on the catcher's gear yesterday in that 10 nothing win over the Red Sox, and he's an exciting, fun player right now. I don't know how long it's going to last, but boy, are they fun to watch right now. Yeah, we kind of ragged on Rudin Odor a little bit at the beginning of the season because he was a veteran that just wasn't playing all that well. But entering last night's game, in the month of May, he had been hitting close to 290 with an OPS close to 880, which is... Really, really good. And yeah. I know we ragged on, on him a little bit, probably a little bit too much at the beginning of the season, but Rudin Odor has really turned things around. So we're on this podcast. We're going to get into just how the Orioles created this fun, exciting team right now and why they are experiencing this kind of success. And Brendan, I think the most important thing to realize when it comes to this Orioles team right now and, and how they turn the corner, so to speak, and again, it's very early, they're doing this, The perhaps the most exciting part of this, is the Orioles are winning games right now without their top prospects performing. Adley Rutschman gets the call up a week or two ago, and he's been just so-so. He's been good behind the plate, but he's been just so-so offensively. But what we expected from somebody making yeah. their major league debut and of just course. getting their feet wet. But my, my point is he's not powering the offense. Right. You know, so that's, there's their number one prospect. Grayson Rodriguez has yet to debut. You look at DL Hall has yet to debut. Colton Kowser, Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson. You look at the Orioles' top 10 prospects. Really the only ones who are in the big leagues right now are Adley Rutschman and Kyle Bradish, one and 10. And neither of those guys is lighting the world on fire. Bradish coming off another tough start. So the Orioles are somehow winning more games than they have in previous seasons, and it's not even the top prospects that are doing it. It's a lot of the guys that either Mike Elias found off the scrap heap and was able to sign cheap or was able to put in a waiver claim and pick up, or it's guys that have been on this team, in this organization, in this system for a few years, and now it's clicking for them. And this is what we've always said about the rebuild. If the rebuild was going to be successful you had to find ways to win on the margins. I mean, Alex Cora said it yesterday that, this is a quote, this is how it started in Houston. And we've always used that Houston comparison because you had the top prospects like Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman, but you also had talent at the major league level that those guys were able to join, like Dallas Keuchel and Jose Altuve. Yeah. And Keuchel and Altuve were never the top guys in the system but they found success at the major league level and the Correas and Bregmans of the world would not have had the success that they had if they weren't able to join Keuchel and Altuve. And right now, you just named a bunch of the top prospects like Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez. Sure, those guys are going to come up and probably be the cornerstones of the franchise moving forward, but you're still winning on the margins. You've had Austin Hayes improve in a lot of ways. Cedric Mullins obviously came out of nowhere last year. Ryan Mountcastle, he's kind of in a tweener category where he wasn't 
a number one, number two prospect, but he's still one of your better prospects in the system. But the point being that there are a lot of players on the major league roster right now that you can realistically see being on the team a few years down the road and helping those top prospects that are on the way. In terms of the young guys that you can see being here down the road, like you said, it's a lot of those guys that have been here for a few years. Some of them have former top 30 prospect status. Some do not. And for the Orioles, these are success stories because their program is working. Their player development system is working. Bruce Zimmerman's a big guy. Even though the, the fact that he's given up nine home runs in the last two starts and he gave up five home runs in Fenway, which, by the way, Jim Palmer on the broadcast, Hall of Famer, brought up that, uh, yeah, that's pretty good company considering the fact that uh, he's done it himself. And I believe Mike Messina at one point gave up five home runs in a start before. So it happens. He's in a rough stretch. He still has a 4-5-3 ERA, which for an Orioles starter, you would take that happily. And it's an improvement over the start that he had last year. So you have Bruce Zimmerman, who is not a top 30 prospect at any point, was acquired before Michael Elias got here, but it's clicking for him. The player development system is working for him. And guys like Chris Holt are bringing out the best in him. Jorge Lopez goes from a former starter with an ERA over six to maybe the Orioles all-star through the first two months of the season with a 116 excuse me, ERA through the first two months of the season and is turning into a lights-out closer. Again, a guy who has been here, who the Orioles picked up a little bit off the scrap heap in, in a waiver claim in 2020, but is developing a pitch, is developing his sinker, going away from his four-seam fastball. He's thrown his four-seam fastball like nine times this year and is developing this sinker, and it's succeeding for him. Keegan Aiken, another top 10 prospect in the Orioles system, 6.63 ERA last year, 171 ERA out of the bullpen this year. Something is working for him. And Austin Hayes played 205 career major league games before this year, and he's never had a productive stretch that has lasted this long that he has in 2022. So it is guys, those guys I think you can make a case for, this for that I just mentioned, are success stories for the Orioles player development program. Right, and I know, like you mentioned, Bruce Zimmerman has not been fantastic over his last few starts. Well, he hasn't been good over his last few starts. But if you were to say a year or two ago that Bruce Zimmerman was going to be a number four, number five starter in the rotation, you'd take that from Bruce Zimmerman because you didn't really expect much from him in terms of the stuff and in terms of his future outlook. You could say the same thing about Jorge Lopez. That was just kind of a random shot in the dark from Kansas City because you knew the kind of stuff that Jorge Lopez had. And I think it's also a big credit to the Orioles for the fact that they didn't just take these starters that weren't successful and say, okay, they're done. They don't have a role here. They took a Jorge Lopez, who was not a good starter last year, still believed in the stuff, put him in the bullpen, and now he's thriving as your right. de facto closer. They took Keegan Aiken, who was, again, not a top five prospect, but he was still one of your better pitching prospects he a few a years ago. He was a top 10 prospect at one point. Yeah. yeah, but when Keegan Aiken struggled in the starting rotation last year and in previous seasons... The Orioles didn't just scrap the Keegan Aiken experiment. They said, okay, this isn't working. How about the bullpen? Yeah. How about trying to carve out a long reliever role in the bullpen? And we've seen how well that has turned out. So the Orioles have been able to take 
some guys that weren't doing well in the roles that they envisioned. They modify the plan, and then they're able to find a new route that makes a lot more sense. And it takes time. Anytime you are up upheaving a system, a program, an organization, it takes time to put the right coaches, the right program in place. Took a while for the Orioles to get a Chris Holt in that role. Took a while for the Orioles to get their co-hidden coaches in Matt Borg, Schulte, and Ryan Fuller. But now we are seeing the fruits of it. Now we are seeing the fact that we had Ryan Fuller on the podcast last week, and he was talking about working with these guys, a lot of these top Orioles prospects at lower levels. And when you get to work with these guys for two or three years in a row in their key development stages in the ages of 23, 24, 25, that's when you build good habits. It doesn't happen overnight. You see so many prospects come up, top prospects, immense talent, they struggle right away. And it's not until they experience the failure, then the coaching staff works with them, they're able to make the adjustments, and they're finally able to turn the corner. And that's what we're seeing is this is a good sign for the Orioles going forward because they can not just find good players, but they can develop those guys. And when you have a good player development program on your hands, you are set up for a much longer time period than you would be if you just happened to luck into some good players. And it's exciting, too, because I think over the last few years, we have seen really quality player development at the lower levels of the minor leagues. I think some of that can be attributed to the fact that the Orioles just had a lot of talent at the lower level of the minor leagues. But once players were getting to AAA Norfolk or the majors, they weren't really developing in the way that you had hoped. I mean, last year, there were a lot of prospects that went to AAA Norfolk that just kind of stalled out there and didn't really put up the best numbers and didn't inspire a lot of confidence that once they got to the major league level, they would be quality players. And we didn't see a ton of development at the major league level last year outside of maybe a Cedric Mullins because, again, there just wasn't a ton of talent at the major leagues. But now that we're seeing an influx of talent at AAA Norfolk and an influx of talent on the major league roster, I think it's exciting to see the fact that, okay, the player development isn't just working at the lower levels of the minor leagues. The organizational philosophies and the things that they're trying to hammer home throughout the organization seem to be working at the upper levels, too. I threw out Bruce Zimmerman, Jorge Lopez, Keegan Aiken, Austin Hayes as four big success stories. Four other guys that I want to mention as success stories who have come pretty much out of nowhere for the Orioles to slightly differing degrees here. Jordan Lyles signed a $7 million one-year deal with the Orioles. That's not nothing, but in terms of what other teams are committing to a lot of other starting pitchers, that's a pretty cheap deal as starting pitchers go. That was a, appears to have been a good find. He is, at the very least, an innings eater for this team, which they need desperately. Rugnet Odor, who, again, started out about as poorly as he possibly can, signed a one-year, $1 million deal with the Orioles in the offseason after he was cut by the Yankees, is now experiencing some success and now went up and made his former Yankees pay uh, with some clutch hits at Yankee Stadium this past week. CNL Perez picked up off waivers. He's got an ERA under one. He's allowed one earned run in 15 innings so far this year. And Jorge Mateo, despite his recent struggles at the plate, I know he doesn't have the OPS that he did through the first month of the season. He still has a 1.5 war, according to baseball reference, which is second on the team to Austin Hayes. Mateo was a waiver claim from the Padres, who didn't have room for him 
for him at this time last year. So these are guys that the Orioles don't have a whole lot invested in, but they were able to identify a diamond in the rough here and there, rub them off, clean them up, shine them, take them through that player development program that we just talked about, and they were able to bring out the best in some of these guys. So it shows that Mike Elias is able to identify talent, identify guys who are overlooked by the league, which is going to be huge considering the Orioles are still a small market team. We expect them to spend more in future seasons than they are now on their big league roster, but they're still a small market team. You have to look for every way to win, win on the margins, like you said, Brendan. So they're able to find these guys and they're able to develop them, not just by throwing them out there, giving them starts. It's not just about giving them playing time. It's about giving them playing time and also working with them behind the scenes to make sure that they get better. Yeah, Jordan Lyles is pretty much exactly what the Orioles wanted him to be and expected him to be. As Jordan Lyles said, he is for the boys, referring to the bullpen, where he's not going to work the bullpen in most of his starts. I forget which start it was exactly where Jordan Lyles came back into the game and I think the seventh inning or so and was already at like 105 pitches and then argued with Brandon Hyde to stay in the game because he just wanted to finish that inning. I know the ERA isn't amazing for Jordan Lyles, but he is exactly what you expected him to be. Rugnet Odor still has a negative war, according to baseball reference, but he has been much better this month, and I think a lot of the things that Rugnet Odor provides value with don't really show up in a lot of the numbers. I think he's a good veteran presence in the clubhouse, and it seems like he's injecting a lot of fun into this team and he's clutch. I mean, he keeps hitting walk-offs, yeah. which, again, is not going to give you great metrics, but it's at least something to look at. But the waiver claims, Paul, like you said, I think are the most impressive thing. Yeah. CNL Perez, like you mentioned, the ERA under one, plays with fire a little bit with a whip of about 1,400, even though that ERA is <laughs> .6. But he's still... One of the most trusted arms in the bullpen at this point, maybe the most trusted arm behind a Keegan Aiken or a Jorge Lopez. And then Jorge Mateo, like you said, I think he is better at the plate this year, absolutely, than he was last year. Even if the numbers aren't as good as they were last year, I think just purely based on the eye test, it seems like he is a better hitter than he was last year. His walk numbers are certainly better. Yep. And he's playing at this point an elite defensive shortstop. Yeah. That's where a lot of his value is coming from. And I, we talked to him a little bit earlier on in the year. Getting the consistent reps at shortstop, I think, has been huge for Jorge Mateo because he just needed a team that was going to give him those opportunities. But now that he's getting those consistent reps, he's able to read the ball off the bat a lot better and he can utilize his speed at shortstop a lot better than he was able to last year. So his defensive metrics are wildly better than they were last year. Same thing goes for Ramon Arias. His defensive metrics are wildly better than they were last year. And all of his expected numbers, even though his actual batting average and slugging percentage have gone down from last season, his expected batting average and a lot of his expected hitting numbers are higher than they were last year. So I think those are going to even out as well. Yeah, you talk about the tweaks that the Orioles make. For Mateo, it wasn't just giving him everyday starts, but everyday starts at shortstop because the Padres used him all over the diamond. They used him in the outfield. They tried to, probably out of necessity more than anything else, turn him into a true utility player. 
And when a guy is still trying to get his feet wet in the big leagues and tr- still trying to get his feet under him, he is going to benefit from being in one position for a long time. It's what the Orioles did with Jemai Jones. We'll talk about Jemai Jones, who had an unfortunate injury. But it, it is locking a guy into a position to start, to make sure that the guy can succeed there. It's what we saw with Ryan Mountcastle last year. The Orioles tried to have him in the outfield. Didn't work. They said, you know what? It's more important that this guy hits homers and is in the middle of our lineup than it is that he played left field. Let's stick him at first base. We'll take that weight off his mind. He doesn't have to worry about focusing on playing the left field or right field at Camden Yards. All he has to do is focus on playing first base and mashing homers. It's what the Orioles are trying to do with a lot of these guys by locking them into something. With Keegan Aiken, you talk about pitchers. Saw some comments comparing Keegan Aiken to Jake Arrieta saying the Orioles gave up on Arrieta too early and Arietta ended up blossoming with the Cubs. I think that partly, I'm not expecting that uh, Keegan Aiken is going to at one point be a Cy Young winner, but the point is that they didn't give up on Keegan Aiken. They found a role for him. They found the best way to utilize him, and that is why we're seeing him have some success right now. I'm glad you talked about Ramon Rios because Ramon Rios is an outstanding success story, not just for the Orioles player development side, but for their front office in terms of identifying talent as well. Yeah, Ramon Arias, his defensive metrics last year, his defensive value, according to Fangrass, was negative five and a half. This year, he's up to one and a half. Yeah. And I know he's bouncing around a little bit between second and third, but if if he's able to carve out a role bouncing between second base and third base, that's a really valuable role. That's a valuable player. And he was picked up off waivers back in February 2020. So, again, not very much invested in this guy. And... After years of toiling in the Mexican League, after not really having a whole lot of success in St. Louis in their minor league system, comes to the Orioles, has a chance to play every day. Got called up late in 2020, very late in 2020, I I recall, as he spent a lot of that time at the alternate site. Gets a chance to play a little bit more in 2021, and now in 2022, he's having a lot of success at still a pretty young age. So he is another success story for this organization. And look, I'll be the first to say, and Mike Elias would too, not every one of these waiver claims has worked out. A lot of them have not. And there have been a lot of guys that have spent a week on the team, a week on the 40-man roster, and then they've been DFA'd. There have been guys who have been given an opportunity and have not showed the ability to be an everyday major league player. But the point of these waiver claims is they're not high success rate claims that anytime you make a waiver claim it's because another team gave up on this guy and the entire league has an opportunity to claim the guy so the point is these are lottery tickets and the Orioles appear to have found a couple and that are going to net them some returns that doesn't mean they're going to hit everyone that that means that absolutely they've missed on a lot of these guys but it is a low-risk gamble that the Orioles can take when they're in a rebuild and they've appear to have cashed in on a few right and you're not throwing one dart at the board. Like yeah. you said, you're throwing 20, and if two or three of not them stick, not all at once, that would be incredibly difficult. Very di- dangerous, too. But if two or three of them stick, you're still happy with that. Yeah. Because maybe these waiver claims don't turn into major pieces down the line. I think that's one of the the bigger questions that we can probably discuss on another podcast is that when we're talking about a lot of these waiver claims, guys like Jorge Mateo, Cianel Perez, we're not necessarily saying that 
Jorge Mateo was going to be the shortstop of the future for an Orioles team that's making a playoff push in two or three years. But Jorge Mateo is at the very least providing you with a lot of good value right now as the team is on the upswing, and maybe he can carve out a role down the line. I don't think Jorge Mateo is going to be your everyday shortstop in two or three years. Maybe he can carve out a role as a utility man. But the point is that he's giving you value right now, and he is helping towards a trend where the Orioles are trending up. Yeah, maybe he turns into a trade piece. And right. he's able to net you a quality reliever, quality starter. You know, you don't know until you give these guys an opportunity to flourish and the cream will rise to the top. I'm getting such 2011 Orioles vibes from this current 2022 team. And yes, the, the 2011 Orioles had slightly different circumstances. They had just, in the middle of the previous season, hired Buck Showalter and he came in and kind of changed the culture of this team. It was his first full year. That team finished 69 and 93. I'm going to make an extended metaphor here, Brendan. Follow me. Matt Wieters in that 2011 season was 25. Adley Rutschman's currently 24. Adam Jones was 25. Austin Hayes is 26. Chris Davis was 25. Ryan Mountcastle is 25. Nick Marcakis was 27. Cedric Mullins is 27. Don't really have a comparison for J.J. Hardy. I don't think the Orioles, he was 28 at that point. The Orioles haven't really found a, a long-term shortstop like they did in Hardy. Yeah, Jorge Mateo, I think, is probably your only comp there, just age-wise. Yeah. But again, Jorge Mateo, not really quite the player that J.J. Hardy was. But Mateo is still providing you a lot of value defensively and is fun. Yeah, so, again, maybe. and that, that 2011 team wasn't good, wasn't great, wasn't winning a whole lot of games. They lost 93 games, but they were showing you the signs of something yet to come. And it was seeing guys like Adam Jones and Matt Wieters and Chris Davis and Nick Markakis get starts every day and make the most out of it that set the foundation for the team that was yet to come. With the team that was yet to come, one of those players being Manny Machado, who had not yet debuted. He debuted in 2012. Look down in the Orioles system right now. Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez, Jordan Westberg, Colton Kowser, all those guys who are yet to come. And that team did not have the best farm system in baseball. The Orioles have the best farm system in baseball. Could Ramon Rios be a Robert Andino and end the Red Sox season on the last day of the season? I don't, I don't think the Orioles play the Red Sox on the last day of the season. Toronto, I think they play. Maybe they could end the Blue Jays season on the Maybe. last game of the season. And he could kind of play that role as a 27-year-old who's making the most out of getting his playing time and having a, a career year. So my point is, this Orioles team isn't great yet. I'm not saying that they're going to finish the season 500. They're going to go on a tear in June and July and, and you know push for a wild card spot or anything like that. But what I am saying is this is the most fun to be an Orioles fan, the most fun, fun time, because not only is the team better than they should be, not only is the team fun and exciting and young, but the best is yet to come. Right, and look... Not looking at any of the stats here, just talking as two people who watch Orioles baseball every day <laughs> and have for the last few years, it feels really different. It does. The players have been saying it. I mean, Trey Mancini has said this is the most exciting time to be an Oriole and an Orioles fan in a really long time. And just watching games over the last month or so, they're not really getting blown out. Very seldomly is that happening. Happened against the Red Sox, and then they blew them out the next night. Right. 
but very seldom. It is not happening nearly as as much as it has in years past. When they look like they are getting blown out in games, the bullpen is good enough to at least keep it marginally close, and then the lineup is exciting enough to bring them back in games. That comeback on Friday was pretty unbelievable. I don't know if an Orioles team from last year or the year before has that kind of fight. And when you looked at the schedule and you see a stretch of the Yankees, the Rays, the Red Sox, a year or two ago, that's a stretch where you're trying to take maybe three or four games. Yeah. And this stretch, you take six. Look at how many straight losses they had to the Yankees at that one point. Yeah. Going back from... And the Rays, they had lost, what, 18 <laughs> games in a row? Yeah. And and similar to the Yankees, I think it was like 18 or 19 that they lost in a row. Those teams were just beating up on them. They're not doing that anymore. They're not pushovers. And that's where you need to be right now. Again, I obviously you aspire to be a champion at some point. You want to build a World Series contender. The Orioles aren't there yet in their rebuild. But they're punching above their weight class right now. And that's all you can ask for. And that's the most fun time when there are no expectations. It's not like they came into this year and media outlets were saying it's World Series or bust. For those teams, those fan bases, that can be awfully weighty when you feel like you have a championship window and you got to cash in. And the regular season doesn't matter as much as what you do in a 5, 10, 20-game stretch in October. That can weigh on fans. This is a relaxed, fun environment. And yes, it's going to come with more losses, but it's going to be more enjoyable in my in my estimation. I don't think you're looking at the schedule right now chalking up losses. Yeah. Because the rotation is keeping you in games. How can you if the Orioles just beat Garrett Cole at Yankee Stadium? Right. I mean, very ra- rarely, like I said, is a starter getting blown up. I know Bruce Zimmerman had a rough outing against Boston. But other than that, the starters have been keeping you in games. The bullpen has been very good. Yeah. The lineup is good enough to score runs in bulk. When everybody is healthy, you have quality hitters throughout the lineup. That's not something you could say a year or two ago. Yeah, The Orioles are in every single game. It's exciting. It's an exciting time. And we wanted to look big picture before we look small picture because we want to take a breath and enjoy this before the, the aspirations reach higher levels, before the pressure starts mounting, and before it becomes winning time. It's fun time for right now. Uh, All right, let's talk small picture real quick. Let's talk more day-to-day roster moves. Cody Sedlock, former first-round pick, 2016. He was the 27th overall pick in that draft. He had a tumultuous minor league career. He had a series of setbacks and injuries. uh, Really could not... Fell out of the Orioles' top 30 prospect rankings and could not get himself back in there. Didn't look awesome at Fenway Park. Looked good for the first inning, then kind of fell apart in the latter two innings. I think they asked a lot of him going up against some very good hitters, hot team in the late, you know, in a, a late stages of a blowout game. Uh, but he's got an interesting mix of pitches. He, he used to be a power sinker at Illinois when he came out in the draft. Now he's kind of got a fastball changeup combo, and he flashed it at times. I'm not expecting a whole lot from Cody Sedlock, but he looked he looked like he had maybe. Something to work with. Some major league stuff. Yeah, Sedlock, I think, just falls under the category of another another one of those players that you need to at least see what you have yeah. in them because he has the first-round pedigree, which I know shouldn't keep you around forever. But if you were drafted in the first round, there's clearly something going on in terms of your raw talent 
or else you would not have gotten drafted there. We said the same thing about DJ Stewart for a while. He had the first round pedigree, and I know it didn't work out for DJ Stewart, but you at least needed to see what you had there. Yeah. And Cody Sedlock has not been fantastic in the minors, like you said, had just a 583 ERA with the Tides this year before he gets called up. But if not, if not now, when? Yeah, exactly. With Cody Sedlock. You had an opening in the rotation. You needed somebody to eat innings. So right now makes sense in terms of a timeline to see what you have with Cody Sedlock. Didn't look fantastic, but it was his first major league appearance, and there were small flashes here and there. So maybe it's something to build on. Some unfortunate news coming out of Norfolk. Jemai Jones, Tommy John surgery for the second baseman. Tough time for it to happen in terms of his timeline because he's 24 years old. We thought there was still an opportunity at second base long-term if Rugnet Odor eventually makes his way off the team via trade or what have you. We thought there was an opportunity for Jemai Jones to come up and do something this year. He didn't look very good in the minors in Norfolk, just 27 games, but he was hitting 212. He had an OPS of 682 in those 27 games with Norfolk. Then he gets Tommy John surgery, really a lost year for Jemai. Yeah, look, the numbers, I think, are going to be a little bit skewed because you just don't know how much the injury was impacting him. Yeah, Tommy John, more than likely, we don't know the exact details of the injury for Jemai Jones, but more than likely, Tommy John was not something that just popped up out of nowhere. More than likely, Jemai Jones was dealing with some discomfort for a while, and that could have been contributing to the poor numbers that we saw this year. Like you mentioned, the batting average wasn't good, had just a 682 OPS for AAA Norfolk. And before the season, Paul, you and I kind of said that this might be a make-or-break year for Jemai Jones because the second base position is not all that deep at the top of the Orioles farm system. However, when you look at the lower levels, starting with AA, you've got guys like Jordan Westberg, and Joey Ortiz, who if you don't see them at shortstop long-term, maybe you see them at second base or third base long-term, that's competition for Jemai Jones. And then lower down in the system, you had Cesar Prieto and Connor Norby at single A, both second basemen who are more highly touted than Jemai Jones, and they will be making their way up the minor league system and could be making their major league debuts in two, three years, who's to say? So if Jemai Jones wanted to carve out a role in Baltimore as a second baseman of the future, this was kind of the year where he needed to prove it before a lot of the guys below him with higher pedigrees get to that level. I think maybe next year he still can. I think, I think there, he still can. I think there will be another opportunity for him next year. It, it feels like Richie Martin, how Richie Martin had an opportunity when he was a Rule 5 pick and then he had a series of injuries that stunted his progress and kept him from coming back to Baltimore and making an impact and carving out a role for himself. I mean, Jemai is still at 24. You know, 25 isn't incredibly old. No, he's not that much older than Kyle Sowers and Adley Rutschman. Yeah. So he's got I, like 100 days on him. So I think that he still can next year. I think there still will be an opportunity for him next year because those guys that you mentioned, they're still a step below him. They're still in Bowie at the, the highest possible level. So, you know, Prieto, as good as he looked in Aberdeen, that was Aberdeen. Maybe he'll finish the year in Norfolk? But Prieto's a little older and could move 
quickly. He could. He's 23. So, you know, he could move up quickly. I'm not, you know, discounting that. But I do think that there might still be an opportunity for Jemai Jones next year. I think next year is the true make-or-break season for Jemai. Also, just want to clarify, Jemai Jones did get DFA'd, and we are kind of talking about him next year as if it's a certainty that he is in Baltimore's organization. It's not a certainty. However, as Jones was designated for assignment with Tommy John surgery, Paul, you and I kind of agreed that it is highly unlikely that he is claimed by another team that wants to use a roster spot on somebody who is going to be out with an injury for a really long time like Jemai Jones. It's like taking a Rule 5 pick knowing that you're not going to get anything out of him. It's just an empty roster spot. It doesn't really make sense unless a team has a glaring hole in their 40-man roster and really desperately needs an infielder down the line. Maybe a rebuilding team would take a swing, but we are pretty confident that even with the DFA, Jemai Jones will stay in the organization. It's going to take him a full year, pretty much. I mean, maybe he'll be ready for next spring training when you talk about an infield. A shorter timeline to recover from Tommy John than it would be for a pitcher. But still, that's a that's a huge thing to have on your roster is just a guy sitting there who's not going to play. Right, and Jemai Jones is not the same place in the prospect rankings that he was a year ago, and he's not the same place that he was with the Angels a few years ago. Yeah. So it's a little bit risky. However, we said the same thing about Kevin Smith. When Kevin Smith was DFA'd and taken off the 40-man roster, we were very surprised that Mike Elias would take that kind of risk with a top 30 prospect. However, it's important to keep in mind that Mike Elias has a much better barometer around the league than we do. This is true. And Mike Elias, I'm sure, does not make this move unless he is very confident that Jemai Jones can stay in the organization. Exactly. And with Kevin Smith, they didn't even announce that he was DFA. They just announced that he cleared waivers. Right. So they were clearly much more trying to sneak that one under the radar than Jemai Jones that... It sounds like they probably have more confidence that he'll get through. I agree. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about, and that is Grayson Rodriguez, who is pitching better, AAA Norfolk, is pitching longer in AAA Norfolk. 88 pitches in his last start that went seven shutout innings for AAA Norfolk. His ERA is now down to 233. Brendan, I don't think it's Grayson time just yet, but I think we are awfully close, and it is fast approaching. I think we're at weeks, not months. With Grayson yes. Rodriguez. My guess would be, we, we've seen a lot of comments about it. It's kind of funny how quickly we went from when is Adley getting here to when is Grayson getting here. But rightfully so. Grayson Rodriguez has been unbelievable at AAA Norfolk. It's important to keep in mind how young he is. It's important to keep in mind the fact that the Orioles are continuing to ramp him up. I think once we see Grayson Rodriguez hit 90 95 pitches, it's seriously Grayson Rodriguez watch. I think we're already close to Grayson Rodriguez watch. My guess is a few weeks. I would think so, too. If the Orioles want to debut him at home, look, he's not going to make the start on Tuesday because he just started on Friday. That's today, Paul. That's today. Today is Tuesday. Losing track of my days. When you have a a long weekend like that, he's not going to make the start tonight. Uh, They have this homestand, which goes until next Wednesday. Then they have another short homestand, which goes from June 17th to June 22nd against the Rays and Nats. Might that be the time where we see a little Grayson Rodriguez? I think it could. It very well could. 
I really don't think it's going to be tonight because yeah, if Grayson Rodriguez would be a much bigger deal than that. I think we would know by now Probably. if Grayson Rodriguez was going to be here. We did find out, though, at 8.30 in the morning that Adley Rutschman was going to debut that very night. Well, it's noon, Paul. It is noon. It is noon. And here we are. And here we are. Uh, he will come up at some point soon, we expect, and that's going to be an exciting time to be a Baltimore Orioles fan. We can't wait to see you at the yard. Come on down for this current homestand, which again runs until next Wednesday. Orioles are back in town. I know it's hot, but it will cool off by nighttime. You can go get yourself a, a you know, wine spritzer. Get a seat in the shade. Get a seat in the shade. Get a cool beer, and you will enjoy the, the evening here. At Camden Yards, at Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks to Tim Leonard for producing this podcast. Uh, you can catch the Mass and All Access podcast, by the way, on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. Watch it live on YouTube and Facebook every single week. And we will be back next week. Talk more O's baseball. Catch you next time.